0: Hey, Crime Sound listeners. Welcome back to another episode. I know what you're thinking, and it's probably weird to hear my voice at the beginning of an episode. Well, if you haven't already heard from Instagram, both myself and Ashley tested positive for COVID-19. I was only sick for a couple days and ran a fever, but Ashley actually had some complications and she was admitted into the hospital on Sunday morning. She was having like a really hard time trying to breathe. And when we got to the hospital, they actually thought she had a blood clot in her lung. So they did some scans and things like that and found out that she didn't. But what they did find is she had a really bad case of pneumonia. So they gave her a shot in her stomach to kind of prevent any future blood clots or anything like that. But if you know anything about Ashley, she hates needles. Like she hates them more than anything in the world. So currently they have her on some medicine and they're trying to kind of do like breathing treatments and things like that to keep her off of a ventilator. Um, But she is showing signs of improvement. So we're hoping that she can keep that momentum going. So Ashley's sick, but she's also really strong. And that's something you guys need to know. She's making progress. And honestly, I'm sure she'll be back in no time. I know she wants to be. And even though she's stuck in a hospital bed, that hasn't stopped her from trying to run our household and like reminding me to water her plants when I take out the trash and yelling through a surprisingly loud speaker of our ring doorbell. I'm just kidding, but she does remind me through our doorbell. You know, I, I hope to have her back soon, and and doing this podcast isn't the same without her. But until then, you guys are just gonna have to deal with me for an entire episode. Aren't you guys lucky? But let's get into this week's case we'll be talking about Jessica Lane Chambers. The small town of Cortland, Mississippi isn't perfect by any means, but when 19-year-old Jessica Chambers was found burning alive along the side of the road on a horrible night in December of 2014, her small community did whatever they could to help find justice for her. For months, police interviewed, searched, and questioned as much as they could to find a lead. Although a clear suspect has been apprehended and stood trial twice, the possible name that was uttered may have just left enough room for reasonable doubt, and a once close-knit town grew more divided than ever. Now seven years since her murder, we have to wonder, will there ever be justice for Jessica Lane Chambers? Born in a small town of Mississippi, Jessica Chambers knew everyone, and everyone knew her. Cortland is a tiny community of only about 500 people, an hour south of Memphis, Tennessee. Jessica was a child of Ben Chambers and Lisa Dougherty. And though they had separated, they couldn't have loved their daughter more. And according to her mom, Jessica was full of life, but stubborn as a mule when she was growing up. Jessica's passion for life led her to wanting to be a teacher, then a book writer, before finally settling on becoming a registered nurse. Jessica loved everyone and she wanted to help care for people. But in 2012, when she was 17, the Chambers family suffered a devastating loss that changed everything. Jessica's older brother, Alan, who was only 28, died in a car crash. Before Alan's death, Jessica was a head cheerleader at her school's football games. Because of her small size, she was a flyer. You know, one of the girls who does flips and stunts in the air. She got solid grades and was well-liked. She went to church with her family and was only known as a friendly, smart girl. As she got older, she was slowly becoming more rebellious and stubborn. But when Alan died, she grew more distant and wild. She found a new group of friends, and her priorities changed. Jessica began smoking weed excessively, driving around with her friends while high, and even started selling it. Rumors grew in town that Jessica was hanging out with members of a local gang, even dating one of them. Jessica was known to be dating Travis Sanford, but by 2014, he was imprisoned for burglary. In the last years of her life, people worried that Jessica had fallen in with the wrong crowd, but she was stubborn enough that their opinions couldn't steer her away from them. And surely no one suspected that her circle of friends was so dangerous that her life would end in the way that it did. On December 6, 2014, Jessica Lane Chambers was 19, and her day was proceeding as usual, As far as anyone knew at the time, she was hanging out with friends in the morning and then had come home to take a nap. By 8.10 that night, something horrific had happened. Jessica was found next to her Kia Rio car on a rather quiet road. Her car was on fire, and Jessica was burning alive next to it, trying with all of her might to get away from the burning car towards help. The fire was reported by a passing truck driver who saw the flames along the rural road and called 911. By the time the police and fire department arrived, 98% of her body was covered in terrible burns. When first responders first arrived, they saw her struggling to walk towards them. As Cortland is such a small town, most of the responders knew Jessica personally or knew her family. Firefighters were able to put out the flames on her body, only to find how severe the damage was. She was rushed to the nearest hospital in Memphis, but her injuries were just too much. Gasoline had been poured over her car, her body, and in her throat before being lit on fire, and there was no way for her to recover from these extensive wounds, inside and out. Jessica Chambers died the next morning, surrounded by her family holding her mother's hand even before jessica passed away police went right to investigating who could have done such a vicious thing based on what they could tell of what remained of her car at the crime scene jessica's keys weren't with the car they were found later down a road not far from the scene they were also able to recover her cell phone and use the texts and calls to piece together what had happened the day leading up to her death Based on Jessica's text alone, investigators were able to determine that she'd spent the morning with two friends before heading to her mom's house to take an afternoon nap. After she woke up, she got a text message and told her mom that she was leaving to get food and clean out her car. Her mom didn't think much of it. Jessica was always coming and going. By 5.30 that evening, she was at a gas station about a mile and a half from where she would later be burned to death. Using GPS information from her phone, Jessica left the gas station and went to the neighboring town of Batesville for about a half hour before returning to Cortland by 6.30. It's unclear what she was doing in Batesville for that short time. Around 6.45, she called her mom to check in. Though she didn't say anything was wrong her mom thought she seemed kinda quiet, more quiet than normal. By 7.30, Jessica and her phone were in the same area where she'd be found on fire just a short while later. When the paramedics arrived, one recalled holding Jessica's hand as she pleaded for him to help her, believing that she wasn't going to survive her injuries. By the time she made it to the hospital, she could hardly speak anymore. Police tried to ask her as much as they could about who did this to her, but all they could make out, as her throat was burned and full of soot, was a name that sounded like Eric, or perhaps Derek. The police weren't sure, but it was the only lead that they had. With such a small town, they questioned every man with such a name that they could, but all of them had solid alibis. They also questioned Jessica's current boyfriend, Travis Sanford, but given that he was in prison at the time of the attack and Jessica's death, he was completely cleared as a suspect. With such a close-knit town, everyone who was interviewed seemed to want to help. No one refused to give a DNA sample or an interview. If it could bring justice to whoever did this to Jessica… And with over 20,000 phone numbers connected to the case, they had a lot to narrow down. Jessica was friends and well-connected to others in her city and outside of it. Investigators followed leads to Iowa, Alabama, Tennessee, and Louisiana, as well as across Mississippi. Some of her friends also had a history of drug use and other crimes, making the list of possible suspects larger. After interviewing as many people as they thought might have a possible connection to Jessica, including the possibility that her death was somehow gang-affiliated, the police had a dead end, and for months the case went cold. And Jessica's cell phone timeline seemed to raise more questions than provide answers. Okay guys, Ashley was really excited to tell you about this new app this week. But since she can't, and we're a team, and we do everything as a team, I wanted to tell you about Dipsy. We know the story of Boy Meets Girl, but what about Girl Meets Girl? Or maybe Boy Meets Girl, and they meet another girl. With Dipsy, the stories continue beyond meet cute. Come hear what happens behind closed doors. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy audio story features characters that feel like real people, and immersive scenarios so you feel like you're right there. Listen to stories about hooking up with your hometown crush you never made a move on, or that coworker you always had a little thing for, or maybe a story that puts you in bed with someone who's telling you exactly what they'd like to do to you. They release new content every week, so there's always more to explore no matter who you're into or what turns you on. And if you need to wind down, Dipsy also has wellness sessions, central bedtime stories, and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash salad. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastoriescom slash crime salad, com slash crime salad. Why eat in a restaurant when you can have Green Chef? Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit company. Enjoy clean ingredients you can trust, seasonally sourced for peak freshness. Ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped, so you can spend less time stressing and more time enjoying delicious home-cooked meals. So whenever we tried our first Green Chef box, I gotta say, it was actually super fun. It gave us a chance to go outside of our normal comfort zone in cooking. So, I guess no more chicken nuggets, right Ashley? No, but seriously, it's a great starter for those who are just learning to cook and wanting to eat healthier or just don't have the time to plan a wholesome meal throughout the week. Green Chef makes eating well easy and affordable, with plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, or just looking to eat healthier, there's a range of recipes to suit any diet or preference. Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit, offsetting 100% of its direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box. So you can feel great about what you're eating and how it got to your table. Go to greenchef.com/90crime salad and use code 90crime salad to get $90 off, including free shipping. Once again, that's greenchef.com/90crime salad to get $90 off, including free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. What was she doing in Batesville? And why did she end up where she did that night? Who would do such a thing to a young girl? And with no enemies. And why? It's not until a few months later that there is a surprising break in the case. A man named Quentin Tellis, who lived in Batesville, Mississippi, was arrested for the murder of a woman named Ming-Chin Shao. Ming-Chin Shao was a recent graduate of the University of Louisiana Monroe and Quentin attacked her in her apartment, killing her and robbing her. Police located him soon after when he was caught using her credit cards around town. Quentin had a record of burglary, drug possession, and fleeing from the police. As authorities began looking into Quentin as the primary suspect in ming Chin Shao's murder, they soon realized that he had a surprising connection to Jessica Chambers, and his cell phone records proved it. Though they had only known each other for a few weeks, it seemed that Quentin and Jessica had some sort of romantic relationship, or at least that's what Quentin wanted. In fact, police were able to learn that it was Quentin Tellis who texted Jessica before she left her house on December 6, the day of her death. Given that Quentin could now be proven as one of the last people to see her alive, investigators suspected that he knew more about her death than he was letting on, and perhaps they had finally found their murderer. In interviews with the police, Quentin admitted that he had been with Jessica on the morning of her death, but he claimed that he was in a store in Batesville when she was murdered. However, surveillance of the store he was supposedly at didn't show him arriving there until 8.26. Plenty of time for him to have committed the crime and then gone to the store. His cell phone location data also proved that Quentin and Jessica were together that night around 7.30. His phone had also traveled to and from Batesville at the same time that she did. Police told Quentin that they knew his story couldn't be true. Between the surveillance footage and the cell phone data, police knew that Jessica and Quinton were together for far more than he was admitting. Eventually, he realized how much evidence they had. Quinton changed his story. He then admitted that he was with her, but claimed that it was only till about 7pm when his friend picked him up. This friend, however, was at a football game in Nashville, about 275 miles away leaving another glaring hole in Quinton's account. After his alibi didn't check out, Quentin gave a third new account of his whereabouts. This time, he told police that it was Jessica who picked him up and that they went to Taco Bell in Batesville before going back to his house. There, according to Quentin, they hung out in the driveway listening to music. He then says she left on her own at 7 p.m., The police are skeptical of this story, too. According to their phone records, neither Jessica or Quentin used their phones between the hours of 6.49pm and 7.26pm on the night of the 6th, even though five other women tried to contact Quentin. With the changing story and the likelihood that she could have ran into anybody else in those 30 minutes being very slim, the police grew more sure that Quentin killed Jessica. And each new piece of evidence collected seemed to support that theory. A DNA sample was taken from Quentin, which matched DNA found on Jessica's car keys. And the location of the keys that were found happened to be on the path between the crime scene and Quentin's sister's house. His sister's car was also seen at his house at 7.50, before the car headed to the crime scene. To add to his suspicion, based on surveillance footage... Quinnan changed his clothes three times that day, and every conversation, text, and phone call Jessica was deleted from his phone within an hour of her death. In the few weeks that they had known each other, he had gone from conversing with her multiple times a day to not checking in on her at all. Police were able to recover the deleted texts, and they began to see the motive behind the killing take shape. Quentin repeatedly asked to have sex with Jessica, but she turned him down every time. On the day of her death, Quinton had propositioned her four times, and each time she said no, but perhaps he wasn't taking no for an answer. With all the pieces of the evidence pointing towards Quentin, and the suspicions surrounding his shifting stories, prosecutors were able to put together a picture of what Quentin Tellis may have done and how he did it. They believed that Quentin and Jessica were in his driveway in Batesville. He may have tried to have sex with her, but Jessica resisted. They believed that he became angry and suffocated her, or at least rendered her unconscious in some way. They then suspect that in order to cover up what he did, he drove her car to the area she was found ran to his sister's house, which was close by, drove back to his home to pick up gasoline, and then went back to where he parked Jessica's car. He then lit it on fire with her trapped inside and left, perhaps unaware that she was still alive in there. Jessica then must have come too, after the fire started, managed to get out of the car, but the fire had spread too fast. With no other possible suspects, a believable timeline, and a man who had already proven that he was capable of murder, in February of 2016, a little over a year after Jessica's death, Quentin Tellis was arrested for Jessica's murder. In any trial, it's the responsibility of the prosecution to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant committed the crime. Quinton's defense relied mainly on trying to prove that there was another equally likely suspect that was not investigated thoroughly by the police. They claimed that the Eric or Derek that Jessica was believed to have been saying could have been referring to Derek Holmes, a known sex offender who was reportedly stalking Jessica. Investigators ruled out Holmes, however, as he had an ironclad alibi. He had also been interviewed several times, and they couldn't prove enough to link him to the crime. But the defense only had to prove that it was possible someone else could have been involved. Despite the defense clinging to Jessica's last words, experts for the prosecution testified that it would have been nearly impossible for Jessica to utter anything comprehensible due to the degree of her burns gasoline had been poured into her mouth. Her mouth, throat, and nose were so badly burned that whatever utterances she was trying to make would have come out too poorly to be clearly understood. Jessica's cell phone also had no record of her being in contact with anyone by the name of Eric or Derek in the month before she died. Because of the publicity surrounding this case, the trial was moved to Pike County, another area with a similar demographic in southwestern Mississippi. And Quintin Tellis was finally tried in October of 2017. At first, the verdict was read as not guilty, but after talking to the jury, it was discovered that they had misunderstood the directions. Several of the jurors had wanted to vote guilty, and they weren't aware that the decision needed to be unanimous. As a result, the jury was asked to deliberate again, An hour later, the jury said that they could not reach a verdict, and the judge declared a mistrial. A second trial started a year later, on September 24th of 2018. In this trial, the jury was deadlocked. As no verdict was reached, a mistrial was again declared. At this point, now almost seven years later, it's up to the prosecutors to decide whether they want to go to a third trial. In the meantime, Tellus is still facing charges in the death of Ming Chen Shao, which means he isn't a free man. In 2016, he pled guilty to unauthorized use of her credit card and was given 10 years in prison, but the trial for her murder has yet to take place. Although he was quickly cleared as a suspect, Jessica Chambers' boyfriend at the time of her death, Travis Sanford, was found shot to death in his home in March of 2019. Many people believe that his death and Jessica's could be connected, but the police aren't so sure. It seems that he had gotten into an argument over $700 and a game of dice. The argument escalated and he was shot. Jessica's death and the arrest of Quentin Tellis also ignited racial tensions in Cortland, Mississippi. Jessica, being a young blonde, white woman, potentially being murdered by an older black man, sparked debate on how race affects our judgment and view of who is innocent and guilty. According to Jessica's friends, she loved everyone equally and wasn't one to see race, and they brushed off any racially motivated criticism. Though it's been a couple of years now since the horrific night that Jessica Chambers was found burning alive in Mississippi, her family holds out hope that justice will be found and the third trial will go forward for Quentin Tellis. Though the town isn't entirely convinced of his guilt, no other possible suspects have been identified, especially one who was with Jessica on December 6th. There is no news yet on if Quentin will go to trial again, but we hope that if he does, the jury won't end up in a stalemate again, and that the family might have a final decision. With whatever the decision might be, the grieving Chambers family and the town of Cortland needs an answer. Here at Crime Salad, we will keep you updated on any updates and outcomes if another trial occurs, and we hope that one does. I want to thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week for the next episode of Crime Salad. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect.